This podcast series is based on a book called Beyond Reasonable Greed, Why Sustainable Business is a Much Better Idea by Wayne Visser and Clem Sumter, read by myself, Wayne Visser. Chapter 5. Sustainability, Catalyst for Transformation The mammoth was not sustainable, but what is? Before exploring how sustainability will change economics and business, we need to understand what sustainability is and what it is not, and how it came about as a force in our society. Essentially, sustainability, the ability of something living to sustain itself, is about surviving over the long term. The mammoth was clearly not sustainable, although the elephant family have arguably shown remarkably good sustainability, having evolved and survived over 50 million years. Even more interesting is the way we refer to dinosaurs these days. They only come up in conversation when we are being disparaging about some organization or other threatened with extinction. Yet as a species, they survived for 165 million years. In contrast, it is estimated that hominids have only been around for about 5 million years, and it is only in the last 5,000 years that Stonehenge was built by the ancient Britons. We've come a long way in the blink of a geological eye. Do you think we are going to last the pace of another 160 million years? Or is the next intelligent species on Earth going to use us instead of dinosaurs as the example of what not to be, if you want to survive. You will infer from what I've just said that the fundamental assumption of this podcast is that sustainability is conspicuously absent from the present. It is stating the obvious, we know, but we would not be writing or talking about sustainability if we and many others believed that our current situation is sustainable. Thus, when we hone in on a sustainable economy and sustainable companies in the future, we're also implying that current practices are not sustainable. So sustainability is not the status quo. It is not the economy of the lion with lions as companies. Secondly, sustainability is not about infinity. When we ask, can life on earth be forever sustainable, our present theories of the universe would suggest no. Barring an intervening catastrophe, the sun will burn out in a few billion years and life as we know it will cease to exist. We probably cannot do much about it, and frankly, it is too far in the future for us to worry about. So that leaves us with sustainability somewhere between the present and a few billion years' time. Not helpful. So let's examine it from a different angle. Perhaps the time scale should depend on our human capacity to think ahead and to care about the future. Most of us struggle to think beyond our own lifetime. At a stretch, we can take in those of our children or grandchildren as well. In business, we are much more short-sighted, living like slaves to this year's calendar, the next quarter's performance, and this week's diary schedule. Even strategic planning seldom stretches beyond 10 years. However, the real villain of the piece in business is a measure called the discount rate, whereby future revenues and costs are discounted at a certain rate on the grounds that money now is worth more than money in the future. 
Many companies use a discount rate of around 20%, which means that in 10 years' time, a benefit or a cost has to be divided by just over 6 to obtain its present value. So let's say you have a project which in 10 years' time gives you a one-off estimated financial benefit of $6 million. If you spend more than $1 million now, you should not go ahead with the project, according to the logic behind discounting. If we increase the period before the benefit is felt to 20 or 30 years, you can't basically justify any expenditure in the current year. But it gets worse. Imagine a project with an environmental benefit, for example one that involves cutting back on carbon dioxide emissions. Apart from discounting the future benefit, many business executives will question the validity of the benefit itself, since they entertain doubts about global warming. Moreover, even if they do believe in global warming, there are no simple models with which to calculate the benefit. Hence the cost is certain, but the benefit is uncertain and cannot be quantified. You may remember Madonna singing, We are living in a material world and I am a material girl. Most financial directors are material guys who like dealing with figures which have some degree of precision. Otherwise, they're not interested and will give the thumbs down. Bad luck for sustainability. We know it is this short-term lion-like thinking that is partly to blame for today's societal and environmental problems. So we have a dilemma. On the one hand, ecological sustainability demands that we look at periods of time for which the human mind is not wired. For example, biological diversity takes between 10 and 100 million years to recover once lost. On the other hand, we have to encourage people to think considerably more long-term than they do at the moment. The pragmatic answer is probably to test any project against the following criterion. Over the next 50 to 100 years, according to the various indicators of sustainability, economic, social and ecological, do we expect the activity to make the situation worse? If the answer is yes, the activity is probably not sustainable and we should reject it. So much for what sustainability is not. The rest of this podcast is about exploring what sustainability is. In order to do this, we've taken heed of the story about the fleas on the elephant. The Supreme Council of Fleas sends out a message to all its subjects living on planet elephant to submit their description of the mighty elephant. A flea living on the elephant's leg replies that elephant is fat and round like a huge tree. A flea living on the elephant's ear says that elephant is flat and wide like a pancake. A flea living on the trunk describes elephant to be like a massive rubbery hosepipe, while a flea on its tail talks about a long, thin vine with bristles. Of course, they are all partially right but none of them is able to stand back and see the big picture, the whole elephant. We believe it is probably the same with sustainability. There are a wide range of ideas and beliefs on the subject, and rather than try to choose the correct one or the best one, the rest of this episode puts forward a mosaic of these perspectives. With a bit of luck, by the end, an impressionistic painting of an elephant called sustainability will emerge.
the sustainability profits. Sustainability began as an ideological crusade about 50 years ago when a few voices in the wilderness gave a clarion call about how our civilization was on a path to self-destruction. They were ignored as fringe fanatics or doomsayers. Nevertheless, many of these early sustainability prophets were scientists who had done their fair share of homework before shouting their apocalyptic warnings from the hilltops. In some ways, they remind us of John the Baptist. Rachel Carson is widely regarded as one of the first sustainability prophets. In her 1962 masterpiece, Silent Spring, she argued that the proliferation of persistent chemicals building up in the environment was unsustainable for all life. Carson illustrated her case with the story of Clear Lake, California, where residues of the poisonous insecticide DDT had accumulated initially in the plankton, then in the fish that ate the plankton, then in the water birds that ate the fish, at each stage increasing in concentration. The dead birds were eventually found with up to 1,600 parts per million of DDT, compared to the recommended safe concentration of 0.05 parts per million. Also in the 1960s, but concentrating more on social responsibility issues, was American consumer rights activist Ralph Nader. One of Nader's first campaigns, published in his book Unsafe at Any Speed, was an expose of the safety defects in General Motors' Chevrolet Corvette. The success of the book led to the establishment in 1969 of the Center for Study of Responsive Law, also later nicknamed the Nader Raiders, which began tackling ethical areas such as corruption in government agencies, the hazards of air pollution, and lax regulation of the food industry. Hence, while Carson is credited with planting the seed for the environmental movement, Nader is hailed as sparking off the movement advocating that social responsibility, as well as health and safety, should figure at the top of the corporate agendas. Among the other early prophets of elephant-like thinking in the 1960s, whose ideas have already been mentioned, were the economists Kenneth Boulding, he was about cowboy versus spaceman economy, and Gareth Hardin, about the tragedy of the commons. In the 1970s, their ideas were substantially enhanced by the now famous work of E.F. Schumacher, entitled Small is Beautiful, Economics as if People Mattered. This was perhaps the first comprehensive critique of modern economics, argued in a language that both economists and lay people could understand. These sustainability prophets were the forerunners of a whole generation of disciples who will be mentioned in the next section. In the same decade as Schumacher's work appeared, the sustainability prophets also started incorporating sociology and computer science into their critiques. One such was the study by Donella Meadows for the Club of Rome called The Limits to Growth. This highly controversial piece of research computer modeled the effects of population growth, resource consumption and pollution over the next 100 years or so. Her findings, together with Dennis Meadows and 
Jorgen Randers, showed an overshoot and collapse scenario for our human civilization, a pattern which zoologists and biologists were already familiar with from studying the population dynamics of innumerable species. Many of her conclusions were questioned, such as the projection that food and commodity prices would rise over the remainder of the 20th century due to impending shortages. In retrospect, these aspects of her model failed to materialize. On the other hand, her projections on rising pollution levels and population growth have been vindicated. Meanwhile, in 1992, Meadows wrote a follow-up book entitled Beyond the Limits to Growth, which showed that her conviction had deepened rather than weakened during the intervening 20 years. Finally, in the 1970s, as already mentioned, a groundbreaking elephant perspective was introduced to the public by James Lovelock. Lovelock had been working for NASA on a model to determine whether life could exist on Mars or not. In order to do this, he had asked the question, what are the conditions which sustain life on Earth? But in the course of this investigation, an unexpected conclusion was reached. He discovered that the Earth, previously accepted by science to be an inert physical object, appears to have the capacity to self-regulate innumerable conditions, for example gas concentrations, climate and bacteria growth. And it does this in order to create a suitable environment for life to flourish. In effect, the Earth was displaying the very same characteristics that are found in living organisms. However, the system could also be overloaded if mankind continued to dump waste products at the rate that it was doing. The red lights were already flashing for Lovelock. Subsequent Elephant Pioneers the 1980s and 1990s saw a number of thoughtful leaders further the cause of the early sustainability profits. Among them was a whole generation of new economists who questioned the sustainability of our prevailing economic theories and practices. The titles of some of their books give an insight into the challenging messages contained in their now classic works. Paul Eakins with Wealth Beyond Measure, James Robertson with future wealth. Hazel Henderson with Paradigms in Progress, Life Beyond Economics. Herman Daly with For the Common Good. And Manfred Max Neef with Human Needs. The common theme running through these books is that our current definition of wealth related to money is deficient, and therefore the science of economics, which is about the production and creation of wealth, needs fundamental revision. Importantly, this growing clan of elephant economists led to the formation of the Other Economic Summit, or TOES, in the 1980s, which sought to challenge the then G7 Summit for ignoring social equity and ecological sustainability issues, especially as they pertain to the so-called G77 countries, or developing world. In the 1990s, TOES was converted into the New Economics Foundation in London, which now has various sister organizations around the world, such as the South African New Economics Foundation. The last-mentioned organization has championed for some time the idea of a basic income grant to all citizens. This would inject money into the many 
cashless and impoverished rural communities in South Africa and lead to the creation of a network of small enterprises in those areas. There have been a number of pioneering scientists calling for progress towards an elephant economy and business approach. We would wish to highlight three of these here, Amory Lovins, Hunter Lovins and Carl Henrik Robert. Amory, a physicist and hunter, a sociologist, political scientist and barrister, are co-CEOs of the Rocky Mountain Institute, which they founded in 1982 to research innovative technological solutions to the world's social and environmental challenges. They are co-authors of the best-selling Factor 4, Doubling Wealth, Halving Resource Use, with Ernest von Weizsäcker, and also Natural Capitalism, the Next Industrial Revolution, together with Paul Hawkin. They are widely regarded as the leaders of the eco-efficiency, cleaner production, and eco-technologies movements. Professor Carl Henrik Robert, a cancer researcher and physician, has gone a long way towards describing the elephant. Robert started by trying to develop consensus on the scientific fundamentals, from which he then derived the four sustainability systems conditions that have formed the basis of an international organization and strategic framework called the Natural Step, or TNS. The methodology and its application to business, which are described in a book entitled The Natural Step for Business, Wealth, Ecology and the Evolutionary Corporation, will be discussed shortly in the section on sustainability criteria. Finally, there have been a number of influential business consulting pioneers who have sought to translate elephant ideas into a vision of the sustainable economy and the sustainable company. The two we wish to highlight here are Paul Hawken and John Elkington. Hawken, formerly a businessman and now a full-time author and consultant, was one of the first to translate environmental challenges into the language of economics and commerce with his books The Next Economy, Growing a Business, The Ecology of Commerce and Natural Capitalism with Amory Lovins and Hunter Lovins. His main theme has been that business and the economy should learn to mimic the intelligence of ecological systems, which are not only more sustainable, but highly efficient as well. John Elkington, author and consultant, seems to have the knack for inventing new wave business catchwords, having introduced companies to the notion of green capitalists and green consumers in two of his early books. More recently is the person who coined the triple bottom line, in which he elaborates in his 1987 book, Cannibals with Forks. He says that he drew inspiration for his enigmatic book title from a question posed by Polish poet Stanislaw Lech. Is it progress if a cannibal uses a fork? In the wake of the Greed is Good 1980s, which were dominated by corporate mergers, acquisitions and takeovers, the cannibal metaphor as applied to business seemed quite fitting. Elkington argued that, rather than expecting companies to change their dominant habits overnight, we should start by simply encouraging business to become more civilized, more sustainable. But how? By using the three prongs of the sustainability fork namely economic prosperity, environmental quality, and social justice. 
integrated and balanced performance across these three dimensions will become, Elkington argues, the new triple bottom line, the means and the ultimate measure of corporate success in the 21st century. This broad concept of sustainability has now been widely adopted in the business world and is also a theme running throughout this book and podcast.